0: Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of the Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time, and this is the Left Pocket Project podcast. Before I get started today, as per usual, I would just like to remind everyone to check out the Left Pocket Project on social media, simply by searching for at Left POC, and that's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. Also to check us out, of course, on Patreon, where you can donate a dollar or more per month um, to support the podcast and help us keep things free for everyone and all listeners. Again, that's patreon.com slash leftpoc. Um, You can also find other goodies there like books and readings and things that we've talked about on the side or interviews that um, I've done or others have done on the side uh, related to the project, so definitely check that out. Um, So I just want to get started. Today's going to be a quickie again. Tomorrow I'm going to do a left POC of the week, so be sure to check that out as well. We're going to get started with our full-on history bit um, in a more formal way. But today I want to introduce a little bit of history too. Um, and it comes by way of Thurgood Marshall, who was a Supreme Court justice. Um, some of you may be familiar with him, some not, but anyway, if you have a moment, please, um, check him out. I mean, he's, he's got a really, he's deceased now, of course, um, but he has a really illustrious record, very interesting, um, backstory. I remember when I was little, like my mom talked about him a lot. Um, and I did a book report on his biography in like second grade or something. Um, I don't remember much about him now as much as I did back then. I I knew more than, than now, Uh, but that's, that was like a bajillion years ago. Um, but anyway, I, I, came across his, a quote of his, um, that I think is really important. And it's from an interview that he did, uh, or actually a news conference when he was retiring, um, from his, position as a Supreme Court justice in 1991. And uh, George W. Bush was, or sorry, not George W. Bush, but George H. W. Bush, excuse me, was president um, at the time. And because of his retirement, George W. Bush used it as an opportunity to um, bring on uh, Clarence Thomas, whom, as many of you all know, is very conservative, whereas Thurgood Marshall was not and was a very liberal judge. Um, But in Bush appointing Clarence Thomas, one of the things that many said was, you know, it was going to be historic. uh, It was going to be another black man to replace, you know, the first black Supreme Court justice and all of this. Um, And, you know, Thurgood Marshall just kept it all the way real when he replied to the, um, the press when they were asking him these questions upon his retirement. I mean, this is the kind of frank response that I miss, right, from people who are in office um, or leaving office, you don't really hear this kind of language as much anymore. And I feel like people are often really guarded. Um, but I I was like, woof, the shade levels on this are just astounding, but in a really good way. Um, so he was asked by the press, member of the press in 1991, do you think President Bush has any kind of obligation to name a minority candidate for your job? And he replied, I don't think that that should be a ploy, and I don't think it should be used as an excuse one way or the other. And the question continued, an excuse for what, Justice? For doing wrong. I mean, for picking the wrong Negro and saying I'm picking him because he's a Negro. I'm opposed to that. My dad told me way back that you can't use race. For example, there's no difference between a white snake and a black snake. They'll both bite. And... I just, (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that is a very bold response. Um, And one that, as I said, like nowadays, a lot of people just, people don't talk like that anymore. And I miss that frankness in many ways. Um, And I wish that we could kind of go back to that, especially if it's on the side of justice, right? And on the side of, um, you know, making things right on these levels. What he's talking about, of course, is, You know, this kind of tokenism that's often used in place of a recognition of merit um, in the case, especially for conservative goals. Right. And when I say conservative goals, I'm not just talking about like capital C, you know, conservatives or Republican party members. I'm talking about people who are conservative, neoliberal um, in many cases nowadays, that sort of use the idea of, um, unfortunately distort, I should say, the idea of racial equality for the sake of accomplishing um, goals that really are harmful to those very same communities that they're tokenizing. Um, people who are of color are still in this country, often marginalized economically, um, You know, dealing with severe economic inequality, a lack of access to mo- a multitude of resources, um, environmental racism being cut off from educational resources, or dealing with education that is just incredibly subpar. Um, so many issues, right? And that's not the case for every single minority group, of course. So just to be clear, when I say of color, I'm thinking of all just in comparison to white people. But that's not, of course, you know, considering the differences between those groups. I'm using this as a very broad term. Um, But if we're speaking in particular about black people in this country, the grand majority of the black population continues to remain, um, you know, lower economically speaking, um, in comparison to other racial groups and in comparison, of course, to the majority of white people. And so, (laughs) you know, it's, it's interesting when we talk about, um, also, I guess I should say the distortion of identity politics, um, that term has been thrown around and completely destroyed and removed from its original meaning in a way that's, that seems nefarious, just to be completely honest, and in many cases it is. Um, same thing with critical race theory and some of these other ideas, and that's not to get at the kind of flaws or, or you know, shortcomings of those ideas. But I think that the mainstream garbling of these ideas is really unfortunate because they do offer us, um, you know, some some different forms of analysis that are useful, in my opinion, still even on the left, um, and quite frankly. They came from the left, right? So I think that they're important for us to consider. And those of them who are throwing them away just because of the right-wing framing are doing so oftentimes with ill intent um, and in bad faith. So if we're, if we're looking at going back to, you know, what Thurgood Marshall said, um, it just feels so apt. You know, he's saying this in 91. Some of the people listening to this weren't even born at the time. I was very young at the time. um, And, you know, I, I remember the trials, uh, for Clarence Thomas, um, his, for his appointment, or sorry, I shouldn't say trials, but the hearings, um, Senate hearings. And I remember the Aenea Hill scandal and all of that stuff and his sexual harassment, um, allegations and things like that. I remember all of that very vividly, even though I was young because my mom let me watch the news. Um, and likewise, I remember the OJ trial and all of that stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, just kind of thinking back again on, on Thurgood Marshall's point, I didn't see that press conference when I was little. And I don't think I would have fully understood, obviously, the implications that were being laid out um, there by him. Um, but I think they're still apt for us to think about today. And especially to consider, you know, as we're being told over and over that certain presidential candidates or certain senators or certain representatives or certain people in politics are the answer, by virtue of their just being of color, um, quite frequently still to this day, right? And I think we're kind of met with the idea of, you know, any person of color will do, and that is so insulting and so frustrating to deal with, um, because especially like as a person of color, as a black person specifically speaking, if I have if I take issue with someone who is of color in a position of power. It's not because they're of color. It's because I disagree with whatever their policies are um, or their their approach to certain policies are. And unfortunately, you know, I think some people, including those on the left, take advantage of that um, sort of opposition to policy and use their own form of sort of distorted race, racial play, if you will, um, in the political sense and, and use other people of color to then be the sole critics of people of color and so it becomes a it becomes like a poc on poc violence sort of thing um when in actuality what we're criticizing is the failures politically or policy-based or whatever of those people um but because of the kind of strange demands now that we have in the sense where the idea is like White people can't criticize people of color, even if they have political power. And then only other people of color are allowed to speak on behalf of the community in opposition to these people or uh, speak on behalf of the community, period, or to speak about these people in any way. And then, of course, if there is a white person who criticizes them, they're seen as or, you know, sort of portrayed as racist. But then the challenge is that, like, sometimes those people are racist um, and they are attacking those representatives or politicians or whatever disproportionately because they are of color. And so it becomes this really strange space to navigate because on the one hand, you know, if I'm critical of someone, let's say who's black, um, I feel obligated to say something just because I'm critical of them and their politics. But then there's an added obligation because I'm also another black person that it has to be my voice that's at the forefront of these arguments so that it won't be seen as racism. But then at the same time, sometimes people of color are sort of utilized by um, even the most liberal or left-leaning people to be the spokesperson um, or the outspoken critic because of their color. So it's it's like we're being... (laughs) I don't know we're put in this we're caught between a rock and a hard place as as people of color on the left in many cases because we feel obligated to say something but at the same time we don't want to be we don't want to become the mouthpieces for white people with like some sort of in some cases racist aggression towards these people. We don't want to add to that chorus in many cases. And so it's a very difficult position to be in. Um and I think that a lot of us are grappling with that on a regular basis in fact because while I don't feel like I need to bite my tongue just because someone is black I also am very mindful of the fact that sometimes when I say those things or let's say if I'm critical of a woman for example my criticism against Hillary Clinton for many years um, and and even when I make comments now about Hillary Clinton if I make they like get a ton of retweets a ton of responses and likes and things like that and I'm always kind of like Are people doing this because they truly value my opinion or are they doing this because they see me as another woman or another woman of color a person of color or whatever who's making these criticisms that then become a, a, a sort of way that whites who are critical can live vicariously through my critique? if that makes sense. So I think sometimes we, as people of color, when we criticize other people of color in politics, become then the avatar um, for whites who have other grievances that may go well beyond the, po- the politics of these people that we're being critical of. And that is frustrating. <laughs> like, that's really, 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 really frustrating. Um, and, you know, in some ways, I find myself I find I feel somewhat reluctant at times to make criticisms that I feel are needed and valuable because I just don't feel like um, seeing some of the ways that the comment sections will turn, right? Um, Because sometimes they get really ugly and people will say racist things and you're like, hey, I'm black, like you got to chill out. And it's very, it's sometimes veiled racism, right? That like you feel, you know, as a person of color, but you can't quite put your finger on, but you can tell by the tone that's used in the comment that there's like a certain kind of underlying aggression that's not just about the policy, but it's also about something else. It's about the gender, it's about the race of that person. Um, And then when you try to talk about that, you're accused of, you know, mobilizing around identity politics and again, their distorted version of identity politics, not the actual meaning of identity politics. And it's like black feminist socialist roots, right? Um, so yeah, this is a, it's always a, a a dynamic that can be frustrating to navigate and deal with. Um, and you, I I think it's really indicative, not so much of problems on the left or problems on the right right? but just like problems of our society being this racist hellhole that we have to deal with, um, regardless of what party or group we follow in this country as people of color. Um, But I also think, you know, women can speak to a similar dynamic, regardless of race, right? But speaking for myself as a black woman, like sometimes I feel like, you know, there's not really a space for many women of color or black women specifically who are far left, right? Like, who are communists or socialists or whatever, for real, for real. And, you know, our representatives as Black women in the media are predominantly liberal and, like, neoliberal, to be more specific. Black Republicans are a total mess, and I would never see them as allies because they believe in sort of self-destructive policies. Um, then, And they're, of course, oftentimes our, our class... Uh, enemies. Same with many politicians on the democratic side as well, of course, to be perfectly clear. Um, And then, you know, with white leftists and some other leftists of color who are non-black, there's still a an issue of racism sometimes in those spaces um you go to spe- to feminist spaces and you're dealing with racism as well and then in black spaces you're dealing with um misogyny you know just thinking of like if i'm speaking solely for myself right there are degrees of misogyny and degrees of sexism degrees of racism etc in all of these spaces and classism of course pervades throughout as well and i think that there becomes this like I don't know, you kind of feel, I've always said that, that there's, you feel like you're on this island, right? Um, and not only do you feel like you're on the island, but sometimes when you meet or come across by chance, you know, these other black women who are leftists, or at least represent themselves as such, there there are sometimes problems, right? Um, because we're not all the same. And we're not all, we don't all have the same um, political leanings. And we don't even all have the same motivation or reason for getting involved in in leftist politics or, or thought. Um, sometimes our, our reasons are very different, if not counter to leftist movements. Um, that's perhaps a topic for another day. Some people may know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think that, the, that there are some people out there who like are using this as a way to climb up, but who don't really mean or not as deeply invested in um, many leftist principles, but are kind of using their position as themselves a token or like this unique kind of unicorn of sorts in the space and trying to carve out a space to make themselves the only one, much like how Candace Owens did on the right, right? Um, I think there's that dynamic as well for some people on the left. Um, and and I find it to be, you know, disappointing, disturbing and unnecessary um, and I think it's just indicative of sort of the spiral downwards to a lot of these efforts still being about capitalism, right? Driven by the the idea of making money and becoming famous more than they are about ideology and principles um, and actual freedom, right? Like gaining some I don't want to say foothold, but I don't know, some some semblance of, of freedom and you know, some people would argue that even looking for that is a fool's errand because we live in a settler colonial state, and we are still, you know, the disposable people within it, among many others. But uh, you know, indigenous people, black people are, are the surplus population at this point, right? Uh, we kind of always have been in many ways because even when we were even when we were used for our labor, our lives were often cut short at at a moment's notice, at a blink of an eye, um, because we were replaceable right? We were seen as replaceable. And so I think that that kind of sentiment continues into the present. And some people are willing to, um, you know, engage in what I would consider unprincipled actions for the sake of cultivating an audience that they think will find them valuable. But soon enough, they also realize that that is a is not really a good idea <laughs> because if the audience you cultivate is an audience that will turn on you in the blink of an eye, do you really want that audience? Do you really want that support? Um, and, and I think people are thinking about the short-term gains again, financially and through fame more than they're thinking about long-term gains about freeing, uh, liberating a, a group of people, finding our freedom through our voice and finding our three freedom through our actions. Um, I think some people are not really about that life and they're doing something else. And so we just have to be careful, you know, as, as Thurgood Marshall said, right? Um, a snake is a snake, right? A snake can be black, a snake can be white, but they both bite. And you have to be careful about that. And I think we have to be very careful about, you know, who we put in power, who we choose or people who take the position of representation for certain groups. And And that can be on a very small scale, be it podcasters or YouTubers or like local community group leaders, or at the very high level, like people running for president. So we just have to be careful and mindful of that, critical when we need to be, vocal when we need to be. Um, And I think most importantly, always working sort of within our communities to try to support leaders who are really into and you know, about the life of fixing and changing things for us and liberating uh, these our groups at the end of the day, like liberating our communities, making life better for people. Um, I think when you find someone like that, you have to support them and you should support them by any means necessary. Um, and, you know, stop falling for the grifters and stop falling for the people who are just in it to sell you out the first chance they get. Because um, there's a lot of that. And you just have to be mindful of of knowing, being able to tell the difference, as I mentioned before, between people doing that for money and people who are really invested in community change and and progress of some sort, if not a full eradication of the state that oppresses us and its institutions um, that do the same. So anyway, with that said, um, have a wonderful night, everyone. That was Vlogmas, or excuse me, not Vlogmas, my goodness. I'm really tired, as you can tell. It's been a long weekend. Um, that was the Podmas episode, or installment number four. So, um, like I said, tomorrow I'm going to do a Left POC of the Week episode. So I'll talk about uh, a leftist of color from the past um, and their history and their connection to you know contemporary movements. Um, and uh yeah i think that's it for now like i said make sure that you check out the left pocket project podcast through wherever you get your podcasts so spreaker soundcloud itunes spotify blah 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 you can also of course check out the project and anything that we produce um the project on our patreon page and that's patreon.com leftpoc and of course follow us on social media by searching for at left you can talk to me richard etc um so yeah be sure to do that and you can of course find our interviews and other posts politics stuff etc on all of those sites um yeah take care of yourselves have a good monday going back after <laughs> A break for Thanksgiving. If you had a break, hopefully you had a few days off or a day or two to enjoy your time. Um, but if you're going back into the office, back into the workplace, uh, my hat off to you. My day back is on Tuesday, so Monday is going to be a, a work from home kind of day. I will still be working, but just on the domestic front. which makes me tired. It never really ends. I'm always working on the domestic front, but you know what I mean? Monday's going to be kind of my catch-up day. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, everyone take care of yourselves. Be safe, be well, and uh, have a good one. Bye-bye.